Look at this nonsense, spewed Mr. Kettle Spittle, flying from his lips as he tossed a folder of paper toward the shaken form of Jinx, who he had called into his office in an attempt to deal with the disaster that had unfolded at the hands of the small case officer earlier that day. Jinx looked on as Kettle prowled about his office like a caged tiger. The man looked positively unhinged more so than Jinx had ever seen. He was burning with desire to pick the folder up, but dared not move while the volatile man was in this kind of rage. No one does this to me! Kettle seethed, pounding his fists into the heavy wooden desk, and now looking directly at Jinx for the first time. You need to make this go away, Jinx. Do whatever you need to do. This... this insanity! Kittle had taken a heavy paperweight into his hand, and without a second thought, sailing into the wall to his left. Framed pictures and plaques fell in a crash to the floor as the points of the marble paperweight jutted from the wall in their place. Go ahead! Pick it up, Jinx! I can see that you're dying to look at it. In a blink, Kettle had taken quick strides to reach the much smaller Jinx. Grabbing the folder in his hand, his paper scattered to the floor and pressing it heavily into Jinx's chest as he leaned in. I know you, Jinx. I made you who you are. I can smell the fear on you. But even that pales in comparison to the stench of greed that rolls off you. Jinx could feel Kettle's hot breath on his face. The man's fetid breath making his eyes water. But instinctively, he cupped the mound of papers with an arm, took a step back. Mr. Kettle didn't seem to notice as he had already turned his back to Jinx and was now eyeing the varying ornaments that remained on his desk as if looking for another object to hurl. Scanning the papers quickly, Jinx could tell immediately that this was a court summons and a notice of a lawsuit. But the federal seal mingled with a state seal told Jinx everything he needed to know. This was something very different than a mere resident complaint. Hastily, he lifted the messenger bag he had carried with him into the office and shoved the papers inside, moving swiftly in the room to collect the other sheets that had fallen to the floor. As he stood back up, Kettle was eyeing him holding a heavy metal bust in his right hand and grinning in a vile manner. When Kettle spoke again, his voice was low, 
befitting the haunted and crazed look in his eyes. We're gonna make them pay, Jinx. You and I. Together we're gonna take them down. All of them. And we begin today. Everyone in the building that hasn't paid rent yet <laughs> must now pay double. Kettle held the bottom base of the heavy metal bust in his hand and slammed it into the desk, making a dent in the hardwood surface with a deep booming sound that caused Jinx to jump. And anyone that is currently late on rent, double what they owe. Another pounding of metal <laughs> to wood followed by a deep chuckle. Clearly, Kettle had lost it completely. And then something inside Jinx snapped. Just as Kettle was about to make another pronouncement, Jinx silenced him with a single word. No. Kettle was so shocked he blinked before Jinx continued. No, Harvey. Jinx had never before used his boss's first name and the effect was plain as Kettle now took a step back, looking as though some great foe had just entered the room. That isn't what we're going to do. Jinx couldn't believe what he was saying, but felt as though there were no turning back now. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Jinx patted the satchel that now contained the summons. And what exactly is the pathetic, scrawny, insignificant weasel that you are going to do? Kettle's voice seethed as he took a step toward Jinx, who had already retreated to the door and placed a hand on the doorknob. I'm going to cooperate fully. Merry Christmas, Mr. Kettle. Merry Christmas. Jinx flung the door wide and jumped out just as the heavy metal bust sailed past his ear into the wall behind the door. But Jinx kept moving, even as Kettle's howls followed him through the hallway and out into the snow. Not knowing what else to do, Brian had gone back to the basics, fixing things. After leaving Jinx, Brian had simply let his feet take him back to his own office where he picked up the familiar tool pouch, returned to the bank of elevators and hit the button for the 43rd floor. The elevator hummed around him, but didn't stop until it reached the destination as he had used his express key to take the uninterrupted route to the floor. Stepping out into the hallway, he walked slowly to apartment 4312 and pressed the room bell. Nothing. This time, Brian knocked gently on the door, but rather than the door to 4312 opening, the door across the hall did as an elderly woman with long graying hair wrapped in a braided bun looked tentatively out into the hallway. Um, excuse me, ma'am. I'm Brian with maintenance. I was told to drop by this unit to check the ventilation, but no one seems to be home. Brian had permission to enter Joan's apartment, but knew from prior experience that it was best to inquire around and make his actions known rather than having strange rumors build. Yes, yes, I know who you are, and, well, Joan is not in at the moment. Miss Oldmeyer then stepped into the hallway, appraising the maintenance chief for a moment, 
I spoke with her earlier and she told me to stop by. Brian shrugged. But I can come back after she returns. No, no. It's probably better that you get your work done while she's out. Here, let me open the door for you. Miss Oldmeyer responded before pulling out her set of keys and unlocking the door for him. Thank you. You wouldn't have an idea what the issue was, would you? Brian smiled questioningly at her as he stepped into the small apartment and began to open his bag to find a flashlight. I think Charlie... Miss Oldmeyer began before stopping abruptly, her voice catching at the thought of the little girl missing being partially her fault. I know about the girl. I'm... I'm very sorry, and I have all of my team looking for her. Brian mentioned gently. I can start there if that seems to be a trouble spot. Miss Oldmeyer just nodded as the taller man walked to the closed door of Charlie's bedroom and opened it softly. Brian had barely set foot into the room when his breath caught, and he heard the distant crash of a tool bag hitting the floor, for there, bundled sweetly in the covers of the bed, lay a pretty young girl. Charlie? Miss Oldmeyer's voice was tense as she had leapt to the door with surprising quickness, having seen the shock of the maintenance chief's face. Charlie? Charlie! Oh, my dear Charlie. Charlie, is that you? Is that really you? Brian stood dumbly in the frame of the small bedroom door as the older woman nearly shouldered him to the ground in her rush to get past him to the girl. In a blink, she was kneeling at the edge of the bed, nearly in tears as the young girl lazily blinked and yawned, opening her eyes and smiling just a bit. Aunt Goldie? Is it Aunt Nani home yet? I've had the strangest dream. The next several hours had flown by in a blur. Miss Oldmeyer, or Aunt Goldie as Charlie called her, had whisked the girl up into an embrace, pinching her cheeks until the little girl yelped, and then had her get dressed before pulling her into the kitchen for a meal. The older woman wouldn't let her eyes off the girl for even a moment. When the shock had worn away enough for Goldie to notice the dumbfounded presence of Brian standing about in shock, she shooed him out of the apartment with strict orders to track down Joan immediately, which is how Brian found himself moving from floor to floor while radioing his small team to find Joan and let her know that her daughter had returned. A crackling reply from his radio let him know that Miss Williard Stewart had last been seen outside, sitting on one of the benches in the cold air which sent Brian racing like a madman back through the halls and out the front door, uncaring as to who would see him. And there she was, shivering and huddled in her winter coat, eyes cast to the concrete at her feet as snow drifted around her in large wet flakes. Joan, Brian called as he ran up to her out of breath. Joan! But the woman's eyes remained frozen to the pavement until he gently took her shoulder. And as her eyes turned to his, he could see the shell of a woman. She had clearly been crying and likely hadn't slept in the days that had passed 
since Charlie's disappearance. Charlie's back. That isn't funny, Brian. Joan just shook her head and shrugged her shoulder away from him. Kneeling beside her, Brian tried again. It's the truth, Joan. I don't know how, but I saw her with my own eyes. Miss Oldmeyer, your neighbor, is with her now. Come on, it's all over. Let's get you home. This time, fresh tears were glistening in Joan's eyes as they met Brian's, and within he could see a small sliver of hope. Then she was on her feet, unsteady at first, but gaining strength with every step as Brian helped her back into the building, up the elevator, and back to her room. Charlie! Charlie! Charlie, don't you ever, ever do that to me again. I'm just... Charlie! As the pair embraced, Brian felt oddly out of place and let himself slide out the door, closing it softly behind him as he turned back to the bank of elevators. Well... Maybe she isn't so unlucky after all. A knock came at the door as Joan and Charlie sat together at the kitchen table, sharing a light lunch as they continued to process all that had happened. Charlie had not felt comfortable talking about where she had been and wasn't entirely certain if her strange adventure was little more than a very elaborate dream in any case. Joan, for a time, had persisted in trying to find out where and why Charlie had run off, but had given up for now, simply happy that her daughter was home and safe again. Once again, the knock at the door interrupted the cozy silence. Joan stood from the table and made her way across the small living room to the door, opening it slowly to discover an unwelcome sight that shocked her back to reality. Hello, Miss Williard Stewart? May I come in? Standing before her, just outside the door, was the professionally dressed form of Miss Fillmore, the child services officer. With a lump growing in her gut, Joan pulled the door wide and waved the woman in. Please, come in. Miss Fillmore's eyes caught on Charlie at the table, who looked back at her quizzically. I heard that Charlie had returned. I'm very glad for you. The woman offered as she stepped inside, holding her briefcase and waiting for Joan to suggest a place for them to sit. Charlie, please go to your room. Joan's request was quiet and then... Interrupted by Miss Fillmore. Actually, I was hoping I could speak to both of you, if that's all right. Oh, all right. How about you just join us at the table here, then? Joan suggested, adding, Would you like some lunch? We've made some fresh hummus, and there's plenty. Thank you, but that won't be necessary. Miss Fillmore's voice was curt and formal, but not impolite. Taking a seat at a third chair, Miss Fillmore clicked her briefcase open, and withdrew a thick file of papers. You've made quite a bit of work for me, Miss Charlotte, the officer remarked, while setting the papers on the table and folding her hands across the top. I can't say that I know what to make of all this. I hope that you've learned your lesson, young woman, and that you won't be scaring your aunt, your mother, 
like that again. Miss Fillmore corrected herself as she recalled their prior conversation. Young Charlie looked first to her Aunt Noni, who nodded gently before replying, I have definitely learned my lesson, ma'am. I love my Aunt Noni, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. She smiled brightly then, as she caught sight of her aunt, biting her lip and looking away. Well, I had hoped you might be open to an opportunity that presented itself recently. Miss Fillmore lifted her hands from the folder and opened it to reveal a brochure inside of a beautiful-looking apartment building. I'm not one for beating around the bush. It appears that your story has found its way to some very generous people. These people happen to have a beautiful apartment available that they would like to make available to you for a very reasonable price. Of all the things she had expected to hear the next time this woman came to visit her, this had never crossed Joan's mind. So shocked was she that she merely sat still, stunned into silence, as she watched Charlie reach for the colorful brochure and open the pages excitedly to exclaim over this or that detail. Having noted Joan's reaction, Miss Fillmore turned her gaze to the woman and added in softer tones, I, and apparently a few others, believe that it's time that you had something go right for a change. This, this offer is legitimate. And before you think about refusing, I must warn you that I cannot condone you remaining in this apartment in its current state with this little girl. <laughs> but, but I... Joan choked back a sob as tears welled in her eyes. There's a playground! exclaimed Charlie excitedly. Actually, I believe it's much better than that, corrected Miss Fillmore. This particular apartment building is just a block away from the school your sister attends now. There's still paperwork to be done, but I've reviewed the elementary schools in the area, and I believe that we can get Charlie enrolled for the next trimester. <gasps> Charlie squealed with delight and leapt up from her chair to gather Miss Fillmore in a tight embrace. Days had passed since Charlie's return, and life had almost returned to normal for the small family in apartment 4312. A crew of workers had been in and out of their house, helping to pack up their few belongings for the move to the new building across town. And now, only a few days before Christmas, Charlie sat on the small cushioned bench in the building's lobby, looking up at the tall and beautifully decorated Christmas tree. She had never seen a Christmas tree here before. In fact, she had never seen any decorations in the building. Today was the day that her sister was coming home, and no amount of scolding or threatening could convince Charlie to wait back in the apartment. Not wanting to argue any longer, her Aunt Noni had acquiesced and allowed her to wait in the lobby, which she was doing when she noticed a pretty little package resting neatly under the tree. Looking around and seeing that none of the few residents passing through were paying attention to her, Charlie hopped off the stool and approached the medium-sized box with growing curiosity. It was beautifully wrapped in bright red shiny paper with a silvery bow and covered with sparkling snowflake designs. Well, what an odd little thing to find just one present sitting here. Charlie noted as she drew closer to the box, 
and nestled down on her knees to get a closer look. And I see that you have a tag. Well, perhaps someone just forgot their present. She commented again as her hand took hold of the small tag and turned it over. To the little girl they call Charlie. Charlie read with great surprise. Do you think that's for me? I do think so, actually. Oh! exclaimed Charlie as she stood quickly and dusted glitter off of the skirt she had picked for her sister's return. Oh, my apologies, replied the older man with a kind smile. I seem to surprise quite a few people these days, but I do believe the gift is yours if your name is indeed Charlie. Go ahead, open it up. He smiled again as he stood watching with a twinkle in his eye. My Aunt Nani would not like me talking to strangers, replied Charlie, though she had already stooped to pick up the gift and was picking away at the folded wrapping paper along one side. And your Aunt Nani is a very wise woman, though I think this one small gift will be safe enough. But if it makes you feel any better, I'll be on my way. It's a very busy time after all. The older man smiled again and offered a little bow before turning and striding toward the revolving doors and outs into the night. Unable to contain her excitement, Charlie tore the remaining paper away, opened the box, and gasped at the sight of a beautiful pair of red boots that lay nestled inside. Oh, where on earth did you get those? The voice of her Aunt Noni surprised Charlie into dropping the box to the ground and hiding her hands in her pockets guiltily. He told me to open them. I wasn't... I wasn't stealing anything, replied Charlie defensively. But that's... it's not possible, responded her Aunt Joan without any condemnation in her voice at all. Curious, she approached the box and lifted it from the ground, seeing the very pair of boots she had looked at in the store weeks ago. Also folded neatly inside was a small note that she lifted out as she handed the box back to Charlie. Dear Joan, I hope you won't think poorly of me if I offer the small gift of cheer to you and your dear Charlie. Perhaps our paths will cross again someday. Until then, may you have the very merriest Christmas. The note was signed simply, R. Kirstman. Charlie was already trying the boots on and exclaimed, They fit perfectly. Can I keep them? Please, can I keep them? Joan just smiled and nodded, and as she lifted her eyes, she could see the school van pull up outside, and the familiar shape of Cassie hopping out. Cassie is here, Joan said, but Charlie and her boots were already running full tilt to the doors and out into the light snowfall, the little golden bells jingling softly with each step. The sisters caught each other in a tight embrace, laughing, even as tears flowed as they twirled each other about, soft snowflakes flittered down from the dark night sky, glistening as the lights from the walkway illuminated them. Oh, I've missed you so much, Charlie cried as she hugged her sister closely. You'll never guess what happened to me, and oh, do you know that we're moving? 
will be right next to you, and I'll see you every day. And you just wouldn't believe all the strange things that have gone on. But I can't tell anyone but you, because no one will believe me. Charlie went on and on as her sister just laughed and hugged her. Soon they were both swept into a big hug by Aunt Nona, who could wait inside no longer. And then, Joan was ushering them back into the warmth, murmuring something about being worried about them catching a cold. It was then, as Charlie held tightly to her sister's waist, and before they had gone inside, that her eye caught something moving at the edge of the light near a bush along the walkway. Breaking free of her sister's embrace, Charlie kept her eyes pinned on the section of brush where she had seen the movement, running quickly to the edge of the walkway and getting down on her knees and hands. It took a moment for her eyes to adjust to the shadow as Charlie peered intently in and around the base of the small boxwood. Is that you? Is it really you? She saw another flitting motion caught between the light and shadow as her sister and aunt worriedly came to her side and pulled her back to her feet, dusting snow from her and murmuring worriedly at her. Their words slid from Charlie's ears, like a familiar ambient sound, for in a moment between breaths, Charlie thought she heard a small, familiar voice chitter in response. star is shining way beyond this earthly view if you see it while it's sparkling a Christmas wish it grants to you wish I may and wish I might find the star I seek tonight somewhere amidst the twinkling lights the one I seek is very bright very bright very bright, very bright Star I seek tonight Wise men once went on a journey To seek a child born that night Somewhere sleeping in a manger The one they saw was very bright Very bright, very bright very bright Star seek tonight Lift your eyes Christmas star to see In a manger Comes a newborn king The part of Charlie is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Dice Tower Theater. Salazar the Yellow Finch is voiced 
by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Miffed the Chipmunk is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Adeline the Antelope is voiced by Alexandria Young-Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Marvelous the White Tiger is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Millicent the Great Blue Heron is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Joan Williard Stewart, Charlie's aunt, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Brian Burke, the maintenance chief, is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Jinx January, the building manager, is voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mr. Kettle, the landlord, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Jeremy, a fruit bat, is voiced by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky Podcast. Old Pete, the Kakapa, is voiced by Sean Yates from Kid Cryptid. Crafton, the Kia, is voiced by Kenny from A Necessary Evil. Ferris, the Wolf, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Miss Fillmore, the child services worker, is voiced by Alexandria Young-Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Miss Oldmeyer, the caregiver, is voiced by Bob Anit from the Drive With Us podcast. Rupert Kersman is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. The Stone Lieutenant is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Charlie Saves Christmas is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast and is made possible by our patrons and the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. Thank you for listening and subscribing. For more information about this story and other productions of the Happy Go Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. From all of us at the Happy Go Lucky podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season.